We're looking at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and in chapter 20, at the very end of the chapter, we're told that in verse 30, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing that you may have life in his name. Now, the resurrection is the final sign of the signs that John refers to in his gospel. Now, it's the capstone. It's the final thing. Everything's been leading to this. And without the other signs that precede this, this particular sign would probably become an event that would be very, very difficult to comprehend. But once you, you take it in, in, as a culmination of all the other things that he did, uh, it, it makes sense. You know, one day I was at a church camp from our church in Milledgeville, and they decided to have a game of softball. Now, none of them knew anything about me in any sport activity. So they, oh, come on, John, you're the pastor. Come and play softball. Uh, well, I was a little more overweight than even now, and, you know, I really didn't want to stumble and bumble around. But you know how that goes when you're the pastor and they got a softball game, you're pretty soon you're roped in. So it came my time to bat. Well, when time came to bat, I watched, and the guys that were in the outfielders were all motioning to one another, and they were all coming in. And I thought, okay. Well, they pitched that ball, and I lined that sucker way over the left fielder's head, and it was shooting when it went by him. And by the time he got the ball and got it back in the infield, I was huffing and puffing at third base. And they said, where did you ever learn to hit like that? You see, they'd never seen anything. They didn't know anything. And so when I hit the ball like that, it just kind of like, we can't hardly believe it. Well, if Jesus would have just come forth out of the grave at some point in time without these other miracles that John calls signs, before that, it would really be difficult for us to accept the resurrection. But when you see the turning of the water into wine, when you see the uh, raising of Lazarus, when you see the healing of the man born blind, when you see Jesus calming the waters, when you see Jesus feeding the 5,000, and then at the end of all of those signs, you have the resurrection, well, then you can say, yes, that not only is the capstone, but it makes all the other events really make sense, and you come to the conclusion that Jesus is everything that he said he was, that he's the Son of God, God incarnate. Now let's, let's read this. 
the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw that the stone already had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Well, what is the sign here of Jesus' resurrection as we interpret as a sign from the end of the chapter and I would say that as we look at this, there's some obvious conclusions that we could reach here. And one of those is just simply that Jesus has conquered death. He has risen from the dead, and he is triumphant over the grave. And I think that that's the most natural thing that we should understand from this. Uh, it's to lead us beyond that uh, understanding, but we, we can see that. Uh, we can see later on in the chapter as, as Jesus begins to deal with the disciples and he meets with them, he brings words to them because they're troubled, and he says, peace, I give you my peace. Well, we should, in the idea of thinking about death, we are all going to face it. We are facing it in relationship to our loved ones, and if they're in Christ, we should understand that we can face death with the peace that Jesus intends us to possess. That's certainly true. 
Then again, as he deals with those disciples, he speaks to the, the disciples about forgiveness. And so when we see the resurrection, Jesus coming forth out of the tomb, and he tells us that through him that we have forgiveness. We should accept that about ourselves. We should accept that uh, we have been forgiven by the only person with whom forgiveness really counts. God the Father, through Jesus Christ the Son, has forgiven us. And these are just some of the obvious things that we should see here. Jesus tells these disciples that they're blessed because they've seen, but we are blessed. We need to be able to receive that, that we are blessed right here, right now, because although we have not seen the resurrected Jesus, we believe in him. We believe that what he has accomplished in all of his life, but then in this capstone event of this resurrection, that he has the ability to truly be the blessing that's in our lives. Well, I'd like to turn our attention uh, to verse 27 and 28 of this chapter, where, let me see here. Excuse me, I want, to, I want us to turn our attention to verse 17 in this chapter. Now, Mary has seen Jesus. Jesus has called her name. She has recognized him. And she immediately does something physically. And apparently, she has either come and grabbed Jesus with her hands on his ankles. Maybe she's even wrapped her arms around Jesus' legs at the ankles, and she's clinging to him. And, and Jesus speaks to her and, and basically asks her to stop doing this. She stop. You're doing this, but stop doing this. And then he tells us this, tells her this, I've not yet ascended to my father. That's an interesting thing. Now, what's Mary Magdalene doing? Well, I think that she is trying to embrace Jesus in the same way that probably Mary and Martha embraced their brother Lazarus when Jesus gave him back from the grave to them. They probably embraced him, understanding that what they lost they now had back. And probably Mary is thinking the same way. What I've lost in Jesus' crucifixion and burial, I now have back, and I don't want to let go of it. Now, certainly that's a very noble thing. But Jesus is telling her, stop. <laughs> Something's happened here. Stop. Don't do that. And then he tells her why. I've not yet ascended to my father. Now, you can imagine what in the world does that mean to her? Uh, how is she to process that? But then Jesus gives her an assignment, and she says, you're to go to my brethren, and you're to say to my brethren, I am going to ascend to my father and your father, to my God 
into your God. That's the message that Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, gives to Mary to bring the disciples, and that message needs to be brought to us as well. Now, simply looking at this statement, Mary saw Jesus had returned, and she saw finality. She had Jesus back. Jesus says, no, this is not finality. There is something more. Now, that's what I want to turn our attention to today. We think of the resurrection, and we think, that is wonderful. I want to, for my life, I want to latch on to that idea. Jesus resurrected from the dead. All that that means, forgiveness of sins, peace with God, uh, blessing from God, triumph over the grave, that for him, that for me. I mean, how could you beat that? Well, that can be beat. And that's why Jesus is saying what he's saying. Stop clinging to me. Now, I would want to say to you in some way, shape, or form, stop just merely clinging to the idea of Jesus resurrected from the dead. I'd like to take you a little beyond that. That's what Jesus is enticing us to do in these words. Jesus is going to ascend. Now, let me just throw this out to you, you know, you all look to me and you all look to your pastors and uh, you want us to do your witnessing a lot of times for you. You say, well, I'm not a theologian and you are and it would be better instead of me talking to the person, let me bring them to you and you talk to them and certainly there's nothing wrong with that. But it would be better if you were to do this yourself because whoever you're witnessing to is someone you're close to and I would just be introduced to. So what do you know about Jesus? What do you know? What would you tell somebody? Uh, Tell me about Jesus. What would you say to him? Now here's what I would want you to say. He was conceived by the Suffered under, he was, on the third day he, and, 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 come to quit, judge the quick and the dead, right? That's what I'd want you to say to him. Now, that was the apostles' teaching. That's, you should be able to take each one of those steps and fill in the blank. Well, what does it mean ascended? Well, when we look at this, we're going to begin to see this is the beginning of another new dimension of our thinking about Jesus. A whole new dimension of our way of thinking about Jesus. And may I ask you to think, that I'm trying to move you to a proper thinking about Jesus. Now, whenever I'm dealing with folk, and folk love Jesus, church folk just plain love Jesus, right? Pretty well understood? And I say, well, what do you love about Jesus? Well, 
I love the way he fed the 5,000. Well, that's great. Okay, what else? Well, you know, every once in a while my life really gets upset, and it's like the raging sea, and when I pray to Jesus, he just gives me the ability to be calm. And I love Jesus for that. I mean, I'd say these are things that probably we've all done. We think of Jesus like that. But that's okay. But when we think of another verse or two, Paul leads us somewhat beyond that. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, there's a verse that most of us have memorized. It's verse 17. And Paul says, therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away, and behold, new things have come. And so what we like of that, that verse is, yes, sir, that's true. I was a dirty rat in South Florida, and I was the scourge of every young girl's parents thinking. When I showed up at the door, they just went, no, not him. You know, I'm not that guy anymore. Wow, that's great. Okay, that's not what the verse is talking about. (laughs) Look at the verse in front. In this verse, it says this. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no man according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. You see what Mary was doing? She was clinging to the old Jesus. And from the time of that resurrection, he was a new Jesus not the one she knew, but someone much more than the one she knew and was intimately familiar with. Now, we can talk about the Jesus that we love, that fed the 5,000, that calms our heart, that uh, raises the dead and does all. We can, yes, that's well and good. But that's the Jesus of history, the Jesus of the present time, is the Jesus that has ascended into heaven. That's Jesus today. Think of it for a minute. Jesus is on the cross and he's suffering. So Jesus' soul and his body are united. And united to Jesus' body and soul is the divine nature of the second person of the Trinity, God the Son. Two two natures in one person. Over here on one side is a thief, and he's saying, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says to that thief, what? Today? You will be with me in paradise. And shortly thereafter, Jesus expires first. He dies. 
He gave up his life. Well, at that moment, there was a wrenching in his soul, still united to the second person of the Trinity, left that body. And that body was dead, and that soul, still united to the second person of the Trinity, ascended into that Jesus called paradise. Shortly thereafter, the thief dies and joins Jesus in paradise in his soul. And where's the body of Jesus? On the cross, wrapped in grave clothes, put in a tomb, Friday night, all day Saturday, Sunday morning. Resurrection. Now what happens that morning? Well, that morning, the soul of Jesus, who has now been in heaven, returns, still united to the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, and enters the physical body of Jesus, and Jesus, as a divine human, now resurrected person, comes forth out of the tomb and he's a new creation. Paul's going to call him the second Adam, the beginning of a new creation that took place as a result of this death, burial, and resurrection. And now this Jesus is in front of Mary, but very different from the, the Jesus that Mary knew just a few days before. Now that Jesus has still got some work to do. Now think of it this way. There's still something that's never, ever happened in history at this point. And that's something that never ever has happened in history at this point is no human being, body and soul, has ever gone directly into the presence of God the Father. Accepted. So what's Jesus say he has to do? I have to ascend. Now think of that, folks. Jesus in the body, just like yours, just like mine, human body, is going to ascend into the presence of God the Father. Then what's going to happen? What does the creed tell us he's going to do? He's going to sit down. Sit down. At the right hand of the mighty God. That is acceptance. Now, Roger Bannister, what did he do? Where in the pecking order does he fit in the four-minute mile? The first. 
For zillions of years, people have been running that mile. How many of them ran in four minutes prior to Roger? Nobody. Roger did it. Now, you would think, wow, be like, you know, Babe Ruth, 50-something home runs. Roger Maris, 53. It'll stand forever, right? No. <laughs> How long did this one stand? Not more than a couple weeks. If one person could do it, then others knew that they could do it. You need to know that because Jesus has ascended bodily and sat down at the right hand of the Father on high, what? If we have our faith in him, what? We will. We will. That's the promise. That's what's happening here. Jesus is telling her things have changed, but I've still got something to do. There's something more. And I'm trying to say to you there's something more for our faith to latch on to than merely that Jesus was raised from the dead. He was raised from the dead and in his body he was absolutely accepted by his Father in heaven. Now, when we look at this, to sit down where he sat, we're told that it means that he's the ruler over all the Almighty. That's what we're told. Scripture makes that very clear. But there's something else that's there. There's something else that's there. And that would be found in Psalm 8. In Psalm 8 is used repeatedly of Jesus in the Scriptures. And it's talking about how man had been put in a position of authority over the birds of the air, the beasts of the field, the fish of the sea, and all that passes through the paths of the sea. Where did that come from? Well, that was the original design from God at the creation that man would subdue all things under his feet. Psalm 8 celebrates that as a vision. The book of Hebrews says we do not yet see this vision. But we do see Jesus made for a little while lower than the angels because of suffering death, crowned with glory and honor, that he might sit down at the right hand of the throne on high. What is this a picture of? You see all this decay all around you? You see it? I see it all the time. When Jesus says there's a new heaven and a new earth, how does he say it in the book of Revelation? Behold, I make all things new. We make all things new. We're going to take our place in that. What does Paul tell us in Ephesians chapter 2? 
we have been seated with him in heavenly places. Because we're in our bodies still united to Jesus, who is in his body, as he is the second Adam, and we are those who believe in him, we are organically united to him in this faith. And what is accrued to him is going to accrue to us. We're seated with him. So the admonition, Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Set your mind. That's what Mary was being told. I've got to ascend to my father, and I want you to think of me that way. He's my father and my God, and he's your father and your God. Set your mind on these things. I don't have time to do a great deal of application, but our fallen lives are fatally flawed and fatally focused on the things of this world. We are doing our dead level best to grease the skids for ourselves in this present world. We are doing everything we can to ensure that we're going to live the good life here. We're coaching our kids how to live the good life here and now. And it's materialistic, it's sensualistic, and it's passing away. There is no permanency here. And the focus of Jesus to Mary Magdalene is it's not here. It's eternity. It's not here. It's what God's going to do. It's not now. And yet we are dead set on making it better for us right here and right now. And that's lack of faith. Faith looks beyond the resurrection. Faith looks to the world that is to come and says, that's the way I'm going to live. That's what's wrong with Christianity in America right now. The major indictment, everything is focused on making our churches successful, our families successful, our lives successful, and we're trying to use Jesus to get all these things done. It's not going to transform you. It's not going to transform your kids and it's not going to transform this culture. The transformation comes on knowing Jesus as he is now, focusing on him. Then we'll live like more than conquerors in everything in this life. But if you stay focused on what Mary was focused on, 
you're, you're stuck, just like our culture is stuck. Let's pray. Father, help us to see these things. Beyond the resurrection, Jesus leads us beyond it so that we would not just think we're going to be alive again, but it's going to be a whole new world. Help us to live for that world, Holy Spirit. May that be the focus that we stay with day in and day out. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.